Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom every day. Well, I'm very excited that you're joining us on today's episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. With us today is Janelle McLaughlin, and she is a former elementary teacher, an ELL teacher, and K-12 curriculum director, but now she's doing a lot of things uh, just as an educational strategist, a, a keynote speaking sometimes, but doing a lot of consulting and training right in classrooms with teachers. And I'm excited that we get to hear some great ideas from Janelle. So uh, welcome to the show today, Janelle. Thanks for having me, Chris. I am, I'm so excited. Uh, you can find Janelle on Twitter at MS underscore MAC4, so Ms. Mac4. And of course, uh, all those things will be in the show notes as well, how to connect with her. But Janelle, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into education in the first place. Well, how I got into education is going to sound a little bit cliche, Chris, but my mom was a teacher. <laughs> so, all right. you know how I start with that. But I also had a college professor tell us once to never answer the interview question um, of why we wanted to be a teacher with because I love kids. Yeah. Because she thought it was so cliche, but that is the answer. And honestly, I've thought about that a lot since she told us that. And I think that should be the number one answer why you get into teaching. I have always loved kids. I even as like, um, I remember as a 12 year old volunteering in my church's nursery because I loved playing with the babies and the toddlers and um, <laughs> yeah. helping with vacation Bible school. And so I kind of fought against that idea as a teenager because I didn't want to just do what my mom did. And right. um, I investigated some different career paths and, and I even spent one summer volunteering in the physical therapy department at a local hospital because I thought I might want to be a physical therapist. And it kept, it just seemed boring. Sorry if there are any physical therapists listening, so I'm sure it's not boring. But to a 16-year-old, it seemed boring, and education never did. Whenever I got to be with kids, it was fun. And so I decided to stop fighting it and have never regretted that choice. That's awesome, Janelle. And just thinking really about that idea of, you know, when, it, when someone tries something like physical therapy, that's, that's very much that. I want to help people. I want to care mm -hmm. about people. And really, that's a, that's a lot of what we're doing as educators every day. We're just saying, I'm trying to find people that, that need cared about, need help. And, and we, get to, we get to help solve problems in those kids' lives. It's so true. So true. So Janelle, you're doing a lot of consulting and training. Now you're actually going into classrooms and spending time really one-on-one -on -one with teachers. And, and, and what kind of things are you seeing? So that is one of, one of the best parts of my jobs. I, I'm moved by inspirational speakers just like anybody else. But I think the true transition comes when we get to work alongside teachers who are mm -hmm. focused on an individualized goal. So most of my work is job embedded coaching and I get to work with the same cohort of educators. I've coached principals, instructional coaches, tech coaches, um, but most of who I get to work with are those classroom teachers um, on the front lines and, and I get to work with them multiple times throughout a school year and really help lead them towards the change that they're focused on. And it's super exciting. And it's kind of like those students in your classroom I get to build those relationships and, and watch um, teachers grow and change over time. So it's very rewarding. Um, and I get to stay in touch with those teachers even after we're done with the coaching part of the work. Yeah. But what I've really seen, I would say 98% of the teachers I get to work with are there because they want to be. <laughs> yeah. There's a small percentage that are voluntold and that doesn't usually <laughs> go over as well. 
No. But um, the ones that are there and want to, those are the teachers that have this growth mindset that just want to strive for doing what's best for kids, regardless of um, what they've always done. And so yeah. where my work isn't um, entirely focused on STEM, uh, mm-hmm. that is what I end up getting to see a lot of the times. A lot of the time, my foot in the door um, is is technology. So districts by technology and then um, see the value in providing professional learning experiences for teachers. And that's where I get to come in. And so while technology is my foot in the door, the focus is always on authentic learning experiences and how we can use technology to enhance that. That's where um, I help lead those teachers to finding those strategies and resources. But there are times where technology is not the answer. So we don't do that entirely, but it's always focused on meaningful ways to integrate technology if that is the answer in authentic learning experiences. Yeah, I can imagine lots of districts have have purchased, made those big purchases of great technology and and it looks good in newspaper reports and, and local newscasts and things, but then it oftentimes just sits in our classrooms and, and teachers can't figure out, maybe because it's just a lack of time or a lack, or a lack of expertise on, on how to actually use that stuff effectively. And, and, and like you said, Janelle, a lot of teachers are using and figuring out creative ways to use their technology to, to add more STEM education into their everyday classroom. What are some of the really good ideas, some, some good things you've seen teachers doing in, in your work with them? So I'm going to preface this with a conversation that I recently had with a university professor. I was talking about technology integration at the university level, and, and he was saying he uses Canvas, and that's the extent of what he expects his, his students to be able to use. And that prompted us to talk more about how K-12 seems to be ahead of higher education as far as innovative teaching and learning strategies. And and then he told me he often has freshmen and sophomores in college that have never done a research project. And that made me share then with him kindergarten teachers that I work with that are doing regular research with their kindergartners. And so that's one of my favorite things. I can tell you project after project with teachers across the United States that are doing really cool, fun things. But it's the the strategies that they're employing that enhance critical thinking, problem solving, and creativity and innovation and communication and collaboration, all those skills that we want all of our students having. Yeah. And it can start at the kindergarten level. And I'll have high school teachers say, oh, well, that won't work because I teach freshmen. Yes, it will, because I've seen five-year-olds do it. You know, like that's never a good excuse for me. But another really exciting thing that I saw was a very traditional math teacher who signed up to work with me because she wanted to prove that technology integration in a math classroom would not work. Um, She came, (laughs) right? She came to the two-day kickoff super, super negative. This was with all of the teachers in that district that I was going to be working with. And I honestly left the, that two-day kickoff thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe I have to work with this lady all year because she was just so negative. But fortunately for me, she also had an open mind, which you don't usually see those two things coming together. And every time we would have a coaching session, she would honestly sit and reflect and think about how she could make that work in her class. And she kept making little baby steps. The second coaching round I was in January, I remember because she had done all this work over Christmas break thinking about how she could add station rotations into her Algebra 2 classroom. And I'll tell you that in itself is is a push for a lot of secondary teachers to think yeah. about stations. Yeah, that, and, that's so much. You said station rotations and I instantly think elementary classroom. Right. I'm not thinking high school math. 
So this is how she did it though. And it, it's kind of a variation of how I suggested, but it worked for her. So always before she would come in, she would just straight up lecture and then give kids application problems to work on just your traditional math. Yep. And instead she started putting the notes out on the LMS the night before and along with examples. And she, then when the students came in, they could sit at an independent station. And if they sat there, that meant they were ready to go to work on the application problems. They understood the material. They could work independently. Or they could sit towards the back of the class where she had a table and she called it the collaboration station, um, which traditionally, when I think of that, it's more performance task based. But this was, I think I understand it, but I would really like to be able to work with some other people on the problems. Just be able to talk about it. Right. And then anybody else could sit and have the direct teach instruction like they traditionally would if they felt like they needed more information. And that was a huge stretch for her to even give up that little bit of control, but she was liking it and it was feeling comfortable as students were getting used to it. Not very many were taking her up on the other two options just because they were so used to the traditional class, but each time more and more were. And then when I showed up for my very last um, coaching round with her in March, she had moved the desk. None of them were in rows anymore. They were all sitting in pods or groups. They got to sit wherever they wanted when they came in. And she said, hey, kids, today we're learning about cube roots and I'm not going to teach you a single thing about them. (laughs) And she said, where do we go when we need to know something about math? And so students just started like firing out different um, websites that they would use. And she added a couple to the list. And then she had created like a guide in Desmos for them. So they still had direction, but Mm -hmm. then they worked as a collaborative group wherever they sat. That was their group. And they chose roles. They each had their own individual job in that group. And she built in time at the end so that if she needed to teach something, she could reteach it if they missed it. She Uh had each group share out what they learned. um, And what she discovered is she didn't have to do a single bit of teaching on top of what they had already learned. So that was super exciting for me to see her move completely from a very traditional teacher-driven classroom to this place where she was empowering the students to drive their own learning. Well, and I think a couple of the words there you, you used in the middle there, Janelle, you talked about incremental changes and, and how important those are for educators. And, and I think we can all agree that it's often tough for us as teachers to make big changes, but making little changes like that you just described, and then just giving up, like you said, that word control and giving some of that control over to the kids. Those are both very powerful things. And like you said, a lot of teachers are starting to add some of those things, but, but some I think are still just a little bit hesitant. Very true. And I think the hesitation comes from things that you had mentioned earlier, either just a lack of knowledge or a lack of time. I think a lot of it is a lack of time to teach themselves. And so if the district isn't providing learning opportunities, then a lot of it just doesn't happen because teachers already have full plates. Um, But I've also met several teachers where that hesitation comes from a place of fear. And either fear of change or fear of failing in front of students. A lot of them don't want to try something new unless they already feel proficient at it because they don't want to feel like they're floundering in front of their class. So my job a lot of time is listening and alleviating fears and and then they're willing to try some things. That's awesome. Again, we're chatting with Janelle McLaughlin. Again, you can find her on Twitter at MS underscore MAC4. You can also find her website, innovativeeducationsolutions.net. And she's also got a blog on there. And one of the things, and it ties it right now to what we're chatting with Janelle about, uh, the idea on your blog was about professional development versus professional learning. And a lot of teachers hear that professional development 
and see that listed on the calendar and it's like, oh no, we're going to have another professional <laughs> development day. I'm going to have to sit and just listen. And there's actually a difference between those two. I feel like there's a difference between those two. And I, I think anytime we talk about learning, it should conjure up a positive image in our minds. And too often PD or professional development is the negative. Um, as a teacher, I would have, they would bring in somebody for our whole district or for our whole school. And well, that person might have a great message to share. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody was following up with me to see if I was applying it in the classroom. Yeah. Or nobody was asking ahead of time what I needed as a teacher. And so they, they would bring in this one-size-fits-all type of professional development um, experience. And really, a very small percentage benefited from it. Um, right. I also think when you're in a huge, a huge group like that, if, if we're talking opening day, professional development, you know, staff development stuff. And we have a speaker. It's harder as the speaker to connect in large groups like that. I would much rather have a group of 20 or less, you know, so that I could connect informally and on a personal basis with everybody in in the group so that I know I'm addressing individual needs. But that's why I'm such a fan of the job embedded coaching, because like I had mentioned before, then it is personalized to that teacher's individual goal and what they want and need to happen for their students in the classroom. Yeah. Three, three, of, the, three of the words that you listed in the blog uh, about professional learning and just how different it is in professional development. You said it's differentiated, it's relevant, and it's ongoing. And, and you were kind of just talking about some of those things. And those are actually the same kind of things that we want right in our own classroom as well. I mean, our, our kids want learning that is differentiated, relevant, and ongoing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's key for leaders to model that. And, and if the principal is modeling that mindset by bringing in professional learning opportunities that are modeling that mindset, then we can do that more easily in the classroom for our own students as well. And so what that means is um, a, a lot of those things, as we, as we bring those things into, into the classroom uh, through our educational leaders, we could even be taking some advice from what the business world does too. And I know you've, you've talked about that some as well, right, Janelle? Well, and I, I have this idea. <laughs> I remember hearing as a teacher and then as a curriculum director, how we need to be operating more as, as on the business model in education. And I really truly think that businesses have a lot to learn from how we operate in the education industry as well. So I think that there are um, great practices that go both ways as far as that goes. Yeah. I was reading an article though, and it was in Forbes magazine and I forget who wrote it, but um, CEO of a large company. And he was talking about how, we focus so much in education now on problem solving skills, which, you know, I'm not going to say we don't need that. Our students need to learn to be good problem solvers. But his point was that he wants problem identifiers. He wants to hire people that aren't sitting around waiting to be told what to solve, but that uh-huh. can come in, look at the data, look at all of the information that they can gather and identify the problem and then work to solve it. And I've thought about that a lot in the work that I do too. Are we equipping kids to be the problem identifiers? And I think we can start at a really young age at teaching kids how to look at all of their data points. Um, And I know that that can be one of those negative connotations too when you start talking to teachers about data, but I think it's often because we're talking to them about using it and not teaching teachers how to use the data that they have. Yeah. Um, So again, if we're teaching them, then we can teach students how to use it too. Um, and it goes all the way at every level. 
And in thinking through a lot of the STEM fields, a lot of the STEM subjects that a, a lot of us are adding into our classrooms, we're talking a lot about problem solving and problem-based learning and things like that. But that's a really interesting point, Janelle, to think about getting kids to become problem identifiers. Just just today in, in my class, one of my students was talking about turtles and and plastic straws that they're finding in turtles and things like that. So kids can recognize those problems if we give them the opportunity. Mm-hmm. We do need to give them the opportunity and then the space and <laughs> get out of the way and let them start formulating that. Um, yeah. I think that that is easier, actually, the younger that we start. I have so many people, adults, tell me that they're not creative. And oh. I honestly believe every person's born creative. And I think yeah. that that creativity gets stamped out along the way, um, unless that person is really conscious about fostering it. But I think the same happens with critical thinking, although I think teachers have a, a bigger role in and engaging students in critical thinking activities and really helping to grow those skills. That's where I think, um, like I said, it's easier at the, the younger that we start with students so that they don't learn how to do school. Instead, they are learning about learning from the very beginning. And so yeah. if we're teaching them from the beginning, you need to formulate your own questions that you're going to research. Instead, how often do we get students in high school that don't know how to write any of their own research questions because they've always been given that packet or that graphic organizer that is totally guiding their research. So yeah, that's one of the things I actually work with on teachers a lot is how do we scaffold in um, giving them back the power over their own learning for students. And so maybe writing that overarching question and then asking students to write the three or four supporting questions that will help guide their own research to the yeah. point where then we don't have to give them any. That's, that's great thoughts, Janelle. And those are, those are ideas that definitely transcend all subject areas, all content areas, all age groups. Um, just getting kids to, to start to, to think of those problems, those, those questions that they want to address uh, right away on their own. That's awesome. And just thinking back to that professor that you said towards when you were talking with about the beginning, and he said that my kids don't know how to write. My college freshmen don't know how to write these research papers. And, and maybe some of it is that, that our kids are just so used to getting told what to do instead of giving that chance to, to creatively think and critically think. So, What you were saying about it transcending every subject area and every, con- or every grade level, I, mm-hmm. that's what I think about STEM in general. I think STEM strategies and the STEM mindset should transcend every content area in grade level. Yeah. I don't see it as something that happens only the last half hour of the week, which I've seen schools <laughs> do. Like, hey, it's STEM time, everyone. Uh-huh. Um, if we're really wanting to foster that um, inquiry and that um, problem-based learning and just the, the challenge-based learning that we're wanting to foster this curiosity and exploration in students, why aren't we putting that into everything that we teach throughout every day and um, every subject area. So even though we know what STEM stands for, mm-hmm. there's application in English, there's application in social studies, there's, there's ways to apply that throughout the entire day. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, kids just love STEM so much. I mean, if, if, if you limit it to just that last half hour of the week or, or, hey, it's our 20 minutes to go to the STEM lab on Tuesday, and then you come back and it's like, okay, now we have to put this great fun thing away. I mean, kids, right. kids would do it all the time if you let them. There's just mm-hmm. so much about STEM that engages kids. 
I think it's rooted in everything that makes kids kids. Curiosity, exploration, activity. That's why they love it. It's it's inherent in their being as kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we just think of ourselves when we were kids. I mean, we were we were playing with toys, we were we were making things, we were turning boxes into everything and 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 that almost gets a little cliché where we where we say, well, yeah, you could take a cardboard box and turn it into a rocket ship, but that's really what it's all about. It is. I actually share a story very similar to that often when people are talking to me about maker spaces, which again, I love maker spaces as long as they're not a let's go for our 20 minutes in the makerspace lab, you know, yeah. but I share also, I'll have, I'll have schools that go, well, I want a makerspace, but we can't afford, we can't afford one. So what are you trying to put in it? And so they start naming off all the newest tech tools, you know, and toys. And so I share how in my kitchen, we have um, a recycling bin and my son, who's 13 now, as young as three, we would get that recycling bin out and he would have tape and scissors and that, and he would just make the craziest things. We have, we have hilarious pictures of, um, <laughs> like helmets that he made for our cat and he oh, would wow. have to, it, the ear holes wouldn't line up. Now that wasn't at three, obviously, but the ear yeah. holes wouldn't line up. So we'd take it off and he would make a, a new iteration to that to make it fit. The, and it's this cardboard helmet on our cat. And my funniest story for him is when he was about three or four, he called them his cardboard. No, he called them his toy underwear. But it was basically um, a Capri Sun box that he cut down the side and taped in a cereal box to make it like wide enough to fit him. It looked more like a cardboard pencil skirt, but he called it his toy underwear. <laughs> and he walked outside um, wearing just this thing. And he dies that we still share that. But that that was his maker space. And yeah. it cost me nothing except some tape, you know? Yeah. And to this day, he tells me he wants to be an engineer. And I think it started because he got he had those experiences all growing up and he still loves to create things. And teachers, it's really that easy. Um, just just mm -hmm. get a, a bin and put some stuff in it. There's all different ways that you can do that bin. Um, Mandy Figlioli has a great book about just uh, calling it your magic bin. Um, my mm -hmm. friend Jason Hubbard has a big trash can and he's got googly eyes on it. And, and that's his bin that kids can just dig in and find whatever. And just getting mm -hmm. that creativity, that critical thinking, do something and and you're right, Janelle, it's, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be complicated. It doesn't have to be a room that you go to in the school. It should right. be in every room. And Janelle, a couple other last questions here. Um, again, we're chatting with Janelle McLaughlin. Again, you can find her on innovativeeducationsolutions.net. What's your hope for STEM education in the future? Is it some of these ideas we've just been talking about? I think pretty much it is. My, my hope is just that it is in every classroom all throughout the day that teachers are tapping into that STEM mindset and, and employing those strategies in everything that they teach. When I think of education in the future, I want it to be student-driven. Um, I think that that scares a lot of teachers because they feel like they lack control, um, but there's actually so much structure in the back end of a student-driven classroom, but it it's one of those days that flows and learning doesn't stop because math time is over. Yeah. or it's now time for reading. No, it all blends together. And it, it's just taking all of those core values of, of a STEM program and putting it in everything that we do in the classroom. Yeah. Or, or that now the learning has to stop because now the grading has to begin. Yes. Oh, our kids, sometimes they're just so programmed that it's, it's all about grading. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We could somehow, we could somehow come up with a cure for that. I, I, I <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs>
Uh, Janelle, fun last question I like to ask everybody. What person in STEM, a uh, scientist, a mathematician, somebody past or present, would you love to have dinner with? Who would that be? So I, I was thinking through this question because I know you ask it um, often. And at first I thought, oh, my brother, because he's an engineer and I don't get to see him enough. And so I would always love to have dinner with my brother. There you and go. Then, yeah, but then I started thinking about all of the people that have contributed to um, STEM careers and STEM fields throughout the years. And I don't think there's one single person who added more than another. And so the people that I'm most energized by, which is who I would love to have dinner with, are all of those educators um, in the classrooms today teaching STEM strategies and fostering that STEM mindset all day, every day. Uh, because those are the people I want to continue to talk to and learn alongside. And, and I just feed off of that, those kinds of conversations. So my brother can join us, but I want all of those teachers that are doing the hard work every single day. Yeah. Well, awesome. Uh, Honestly, Janelle, all the people that I get to chat with here on the STEM Everyday podcast, they, they are amazing educators doing amazing things every day. And and all you have to do is just go back and listen to any of the episodes and you get to hear so many great ideas. For me, it's a treat to do this podcast. I, to talk with people like you, Janelle, probably want to sit down too and, and listen to everybody chat about their ideas as well. Almost a lot like what you're doing in the classroom when you go in and you, you get to not only help those teachers, you're probably learning from those teachers just as much as, as they're learning from you, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. I actually tell people this has been um, the largest time of growth that I've ever had over the last four plus years of being a consultant. I've learned more and grown more as an educator and a leader than at any other time in my career. That's awesome. So if you want to find out more about Janelle, uh, check out InnovativeEducationSolutions.net. You can find out all the probably things that you'd need to do if if you want to get her to come to your school. Of course, you could also follow her on Twitter at MS underscore MAC4. All these links are in the show notes as well. Janelle, it's been awesome chatting with you today. You are such an amazing educator and, and really someone who's making a difference in the lives of so many educators. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. I'm very blessed to get to do what I love and what I believe in. And again, all these great episodes where we're interviewing all sorts of good educators where you can get great ideas are available by subscribing to the STEM Everyday podcast. You can also leave a review. You can also find out more information on my website, dailystem.com or find me on Twitter at Daily STEM. And thanks again for joining us today. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com.